0: Well, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And as we arrive in Acts chapter 4, we're going to be looking at the development of the church or the development in the church, which is really the title of today's message. This is the title of today's message, The Development in the Church. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see a beautiful time in the birth of the church It's going to be an amazing time as we're going to experience this and we're going to see it. But not only this, we're also going to see the attack on the church. The attack on the church. And so as we, you know, as I bring you back now to last week's message, we saw the attack, the persecution of the church. We saw how the Jewish leaders, those that call themselves God followers, how they actually attacked Peter and John for preaching Jesus. They actually attacked them, right, for preaching Jesus. And as they came as Healing came upon a lame beggar through the name of Jesus. This led to the arrest of Peter and John. And as they were arrested, they were tried and then they were released. Why were they released? Well, it would be difficult to, to bring any type of standing accusation upon a healing, upon a healing miracle. And so, as we saw this last week, we saw that, you know what, that the church was attacked. And I want to give you a reality of the church that it, an effective church will face attacks. It will face persecution, and this persecution is not only going to come from the outside, but it will also come from the inside. You know, with the early church, as we saw last week, it was attacked from the outside. The persecution came from who? The religious leaders, those that were outside of the church. But we know that it really wasn't the religious leaders because we know, as God's word reminds us, that all these things are initiated by our enemy, the enemy of our soul. As it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities. It is against the powers, the rulers of darkness, the spiritual host of wickedness. And our enemies will attack the church. Their attempt is one, to destroy the church. And if they don't succeed, then they will try another. And what is the other type of attempt that they do? Is they use people within the church to destroy it. And who are these people within the church? Some of these people will be non-believers that Satan sends into the church, but then there's also going to be those that are true believers who fall into the trap of the enemy to come against the work of God. And I want to remind everyone, it can be any of us. We must be careful. You know, this pattern of attacking through the outside and the inside for those of us, for those of you that have been with us, you know, from, uh, from times past when we were there at, uh, at our previous location, you saw the attacks from the outside. And let me share this with you because this is so mind-boggling, it's so crazy, but we know that this is the enemy. There was a pastor of a church, even though he didn't belong to our church, he was used by the enemy to attempt to destroy our church early on. What he ended up doing is that he would lock the church so that we couldn't get in. He would change the locks of the building that we were renting. And what's crazy about all of this is that he actually took myself and another pastor to court to put a restraining order on us. And the judge just threw it out. He told him, first of all, you've been fired as the pastor there of the other church, and you don't even own the property, so... This is, you know what, this is ridiculous. So he threw it out of court. But again, you see how crazy it is? And we also know that since the enemy didn't succeed by attacking us from the outside, what did he do? He moved just as he did with the early church to attack from within. He used people. Remember, he uses people within the church to create division, to create rebellion. And also to compromise the power of, of the church the power of god through the church with the practice of sin i want to remind you one thing that the church will be less effective if sin is allowed and practiced within the church we must understand that if sin is being practiced in the church then it will be hindered it will not be effective And these tactics of attacking from the outside and from within, the pattern started in the early church, and Satan continues the same pattern. And we know that when he doesn't succeed, he he will uh, continue to attempt these things in order to destroy the work of God. What we're going to do this morning is is we're going to break down this study into three sections. We're going to talk about the beauty of the church, that's one. We're going, to ta- we're going to talk about the attack of the church, that's two, and then we're going to talk about the sin of hypocrisy, and I'm going to discuss this in detail because I believe this is still a major problem within the church, and I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about the church in general. But remember this, that the beauty of the church comes from God, and the attacks and sin is initiated by Satan himself. And so let's go ahead and talk about the beauty of the church. Let's look at this, right? Let's read in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, beginning in verse 32, and we're going to just read it so you can begin to sense the beauty of the church. Here it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they all had things in common, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We're going to stop here. We see how the Church is just behaving so beautifully. The unity that is within the church. I want you to understand that as the word of God says that there was great power and great grace. Imagine that great power and great grace. Why would there be great power and great grace in the church? He shared with us because there was unity. Remember that there was unity. Unity is key within the church. Look at what it tells us in Psalms 133 verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is while pleasing to the Lord. This is what the Lord wants in us, that there would be unity within the church. Remember, this is what he prayed for before he went to the cross there in the garden. He was praying for unity. I need to remind you that if there is any type of division in the church, the power of the Holy Spirit will be weakened and it will be hindered. If there is division, understand this. What the Holy Spirit does, if this is what's happening, then he goes elsewhere. And he's going to go elsewhere, and he's going to work elsewhere. And he's going to work with power elsewhere. As a reminder, even Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, a divided house cannot stand. Imagine that. A divided house cannot stand. And what we see here with with the, the beauty of the church, how they were of one heart and of one soul. And then in verse 33, or verse 32, it's saying that, you know what, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but but they had all things in common. Imagine, they had all things in common. What we see happening here is that the believers were of one heart and one soul. There was now a new family. As we look at this family, they were now one. They were one that, so much that they were of one heart and one soul that what they considered to be their own now became the property of others. So what they owned was now the property of others. You know, I mean, the saying, you know, we hear it in Spanish all the time, Mi casa es tu casa. This is what was happening here. My house is your house. My cars are your cars. My possessions are your possessions. And what was amazing about about this is that it was shared voluntarily. It wasn't that it was required of them. It was shared voluntarily. Remember, the church did not call them or did not require them to do these things. When we look at Acts chapter 5, verse 4, it says there, that while it remained, was it not your own? Speaking of the property that was sold, And after it was sold, was it not in your control? In other words, we did not require this from you. It was done voluntarily. And then when we look at verse 33, it says, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Think about that. Based on the unity of heart and soul, two things happened. And these two things were from God. Great power and great grace. Both of these came from God. The great power from God to testify of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the great favor from God that was upon the, the church. See, the unity of heart and soul, remember this, the unity of the believers there in the church moved God to usher great power and favor from God. Imagine this this was from God. See, what we're seeing here is that this became truly an effective church. God was so moved by their oneness that he ushered in favor and power. And what does this teach us? That God wants unity, and when there is unity in the church, he will work powerfully and he will pour out great favor. That's what he's telling us. If I have unity in the body, I will work powerfully and I will have great favor on them. And then as we keep reading in verse 34, it says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Based on this oneness, based on this one heart and one soul, There were some who sold their houses and land. And what they ended up doing is they ended up bringing the proceeds to the apostles. They brought all the money to them. Not for them personally, but as it says that when someone had need, they met the need from the proceeds that they collected. But as I mentioned before, this was not a requirement the church placed on its believers. We just read this in Acts chapter 5 verse 4. So, why did they do it? I'm going to give you a few reasons. One, there was a love between the believers. And that love was the Spirit of God that poured out this love of God upon their hearts. And so they compelled them to do this. And not only this, remember, the day of Pentecost just happened, it was less than 60 days. And the experience of Pentecost was overwhelming. And then to see the miracles of the Holy Spirit being done through the believers. And one final reason that I truly believe is because they believed that the Lord was coming soon. They thought he was coming back. When we look at this, does this mean that church people, that the congregates should be giving this way? As far as giving houses and giving property and giving land, selling them and giving the proceeds to the church. I want you to know this, that the word of God does not instruct us to do this. There is no instruction in the word of God to say, you know what, I'm gonna sell my land, I'm gonna sell my property and I'm gonna give it to Pastor Tony. I'm not an apostle, it doesn't say that. But what I do wanna share with you is the principles of giving. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter eight and nine, we are told how to give I want you to know this that there are no boundaries given to us in the New Testament tithing we talk about tithing that means a tenth this was a requirement of the Old Testament I want you to know that's a good starting point but again it's what God what what is placed on your heart and whatever is placed on your heart we are to do this cheerfully in other words when you give it is a personal decision that has no limits See, when we look at the word of God, the word of God says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. He's talking about giving here. See, there are many within the church that are having a lot of financial problems. They're in debt and they're in debt so much that you know what, that they don't have extra money. And there's always a correlation because this was me. When I became a believer in the beginning, For at least two years, I never gave. I said, you know what? Everyone else can give. And you know what my bank account looked like? It was zero. I was always in debt. It was zero. See, I didn't trust God. And many people say, well, you know what? I don't have enough money to give God. Well, guess what? You're not trusting God. It's His anyways. If He gave you this money, He's only asking you, trust me, give back a little portion of it. And you're going to be fine. But see, when we don't give, as he says, you're robbing me, and he's going to take it in other ways, just like he took it from me. And many of us can, can understand what I'm talking about, because you find yourself in debt because, and you look at your way of giving that there is none. And there's that correlation. As I mentioned earlier, there's no boundaries to this. It's a personal decision with no limits. If it's been placed on your heart to sell property and to give it to the church, then that's okay too. Remember when God said that if you, re- if you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. God just replenishes. You know, when I started giving, let me share this with you. When I began to give, and, and my wife can attest to this, if you ever want to ask her what we used to, what, what we, you know, testify that we didn't give, and then when we started to give, You know what? And I started to give bountifully, not because I was testing God, but because I began to realize that this is part of my worship of God. This is part of my walk with God, to trust in Him. And guess what started coming in? Money, raises. It was just God just started blessing. God just started providing. And this is the way God works. Trust me with your money. Remember, if, we want God, if God is truly who He is in our lives, then guess what? Our God is not money, but our God is God. And these are the things that we learn here. But when it comes to this, it's not required of any of you. I'm not going to put down a rule or no pastor puts down a rule that you've got to sell their, your property and give that to the church. No, it's whatever God puts on your heart. It's a personal decision with no limits. As we keep reading on in verse 36, it says, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We're introduced to this man named Joseph. We know him as Barnabas. And we're going to meet him in later chapters. In chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, it tells us that he went after Paul. And he took him to Antioch. And we know that later on, he goes on the first missionary trip with Paul. But we're told a few things about him. And the reason why he's here is because the Spirit of God wants to give us a, uh, a uh, how could I say it? A comparison. And he also wants to reveal through this comparison what else can happen. But let's first talk about this man. When we look at this man, his name was Barnabas. And this means he was a son of encouragement. And we know that he supported Paul. Not only did he support Paul, not only did he encourage Paul, but he also encouraged Mark. And it tells us that he was a Levite. In other words, he was from the tribe of Levi. And it also shares with us that he was what? From the country of Cyprus. This is an island country in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. It's its own little island there. And what he ends up doing is he ends up selling his land. And let me remind some of you remember, Levites weren't supposed to own land. Remember, they were supposed to be given land, but they weren't supposed to own it. So, how did he get this land? We don't know, we're not told. What I believe is happening here is that this law wasn't really enforced. It wasn't enforced at this time. And so another thing, he probably you know, the fact that it was outside of Jerusalem, it was outside of Israel, this is probably another reason. But for me, I really believe that by this time, they weren't enforcing this with the Levites. But what we also know for a fact is that he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Imagine this, he did it willingly. He did it out of love. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. And this is how the early church was operating. It was working beautifully. There was love. There was unity in the church. And because of this love, this is what they were doing. And so you see when a church is operating beautifully, guess who's upset about that? Satan, right? Satan gets upset when a church is moving, when there's unity, when there's peace. And so what does he do? He attacks. And remember, he had tried to attack the church from the outside. Now we see him attacking from the inside. Let's read this so you can see this. So we're going to read the first 11 verses in chapter 5. It says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? We see here, it was what? Initiated by Satan. While it remained, was it not your own? It's always been yours. We didn't require of it. And after it's was so, wasn't it in your own control? We didn't require this of you. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have lied. You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she says, Yes, for so much. And then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Remember, it was Satan who influenced Ananias and Sapphira. He influenced the husband and wife team. Let's look at this. Let's break this down. Verse 1 says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. So we have here that they sold something. In verse 8, it revealed to us that it was land. He sold, they sold the land. And so verse 2 tells us, And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. What do they do? They keep back part of the proceeds from the sale of the land. It tells us that they both agreed with it. They were fully aware of what they were doing. They were in unison with this. But we are also told here that it was, o- it was only Ananias who brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Sapphira was not with him. And then verse 3 goes on to say, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself, the problem was not with the fact that they kept back a part of it. the pro- The problem was that they lied about it. See the problem. See, God had no issue. Remember, it's in their control. It's their money. But when you start saying that, you know what? This is this is what we sold the, our land for, and this is what we're giving you. See. Peter had the discernment of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important for us as leaders and for many of you to pray for the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment is the ability to discern spirits whether they're of God or not, whether they're of the Lord or not. And if you don't have it, it's important to pray for it. But I want to share this with you. Early on in the ministry, I did not have the gift of discernment. And I made a lot of mistakes because I could not discern these people that were coming through, they weren't there for the right reasons. And it hurt the church. And that was something that I needed to pray for. And this is what God has given me. Now, I can discern things. I know when you know when people, you know, I could discern when, when things are of the Lord and when things are not of the Lord. And this is not my gift. This is really the gift that God has given me. And these are the things that we see here with Peter. He was able to discern that Satan had filled his heart. He knew that. He knew without a doubt. Satan has filled your heart. And then he goes on to tell him, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied. How did you lie? Because you kept part of the money. In other words, you know what? You collected all this money and you said that this is all the money that was from the sale of the land. See, these people, this couple, somehow they opened the door for the enemy and then the enemy used them and the enemy used them to bring compromise into the church, to bring sin into the church. And remember, we've been talking about it. If there is the practice of sin, then that church is not going to be effective. That church will be hindered See, when you pretend to be something that you're not, it affects the body. See, many times we think, well, you know what? This is my sin. I want to share this with you. Your sin affects others. And it not only affects others, but it affects the church that you're in. See, when we look at this, these people saw what Barnabas did These people saw what Barnabas did as he sold and gave the money. And you know what, not that Barnabas did it for this reason, but we know one thing about Barnabas is that, you know what, people were probably, wow, you know, you did this, it was this much money? Wow, you know what, he probably received some, you know, pat on the back maybe from some people and they liked it. And they wanted the same thing for themselves. They were lying about it. See, when you want glory for yourself, remember this. You are stealing the glory from God. When you want glory for yourself, you are stealing the glory from God. And we know one thing is that God doesn't share his glory with no one. The fact that they lied, the fact that they were taking the glory from God, what did it make these people? I share this with you. It made these people hypocrites. These people were actors. They were pretending to be something that they weren't. See, When we look at this, right, when sin is being practiced, it will hinder the power of the church. It will do this, and this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to compromise the power of the church. He wants to make sure that, you know what, that that sin is going on in there. Why? Because then guess what? He knows that God can't move powerfully through it. And I'm not talking about sin when you trip and fall. I'm talking about when you know something is a sin and you continue to do it. Remember what the Lord says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. When sin leaven, when it spreads in the church, it diminishes the power of God in the church. And we're going to examine this as we conclude, but let's keep reading it on. Verse 4, it goes on to say, While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control, as we mentioned? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to God, I mean to man, but to God. Peter reveals important things here. One is the estate was yours, the property was yours. As we mentioned, you could have done what you wanted with it. But what is revealed to us, I think, is very important. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, what he says here is Peter just affirmed that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. Because when you look there in verse 3, he says that you have not lied, I mean that Satan has filled your heart and you to lie to the Holy Spirit. And then he says there in verse 4, you have not lied to men but to God. See, Peter is affirming that the Holy Spirit is God. Because there's some people out there that believe that the Holy Spirit is a force. There's some people that believe that the Holy Spirit is a thing. They don't believe that he's God. They don't believe that he's a person. But what we have here is we have the fact that Peter is saying that he is God. And many religions don't believe this. And the second thing that we learned is this, that when you lie to the church, you are lying to God. Imagine that. And you think to yourself, wow, if I'm lying to the church, if I'm lying to the leaders, and who am I lying to? I'm lying to God. Isn't this what God told Paul when he was Saul? He says, You know what? Who are you persecuting? You're persecuting, you're persecuting me as you attack the church. When you come against the church, you're persecuting me. And so what happens next as we look at verse 5? Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. And Ananias breathed his last. Was this a heart attack? We don't know. All we know is that he was dead. But I love what it produced in the church. It says, remember, we started from great power and great grace, and now it says it produced fear. It produced fear, and not just any fear. It produced great fear. What's so amazing about this is that many of us will say, well, you know what? This judgment seems to be severe. There's a reason for this. See, God wanted fear in the church. I know in times past, I did lie to my pastor, and imagine God didn't take me down, but why would he take Ananias and Sapphira? God wanted to make a strong statement. Remember, this was the beginning of the church. Remember, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it tells us, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Let me share with you, when things begin, God will make strong statements. How many of you are familiar with the story of Achan. Few of you, the Old Testament Achan a few hands went up. Remember when the Israelites were going into the promised land? Remember, God took them out of Egypt, and because there was disbelief, they didn't believe in the Lord, the Lord says, you know what, you guys are gonna wander. They wandered for 40 years, they didn't go into the promised land, and finally, that first generation is taken out. And so, what does God do? He says, It's time to go into the promised land. And so when they go into the promised land, guess what? They have an amazing victory in Jericho. This, this city was untouchable. It was unconquerable, and yet God conquered the city, and they took great spoils from the city. They took silver. They took gold. They took bronze. They took iron, and they gave it to the Lord, but there was this one man. He decides to keep it for himself. He decides to take some of it for himself, and so what ends up happening is, the, the, you know what? They conquered Jericho, and They know the next city to take is the city of Ai. And when they go into the city, they're defeated. They don't have victory. Why didn't they have victory? Because there was sin in the camp. And God wanted to make sure that this sin was addressed. It was the beginning of entering into the promised land. Just like it is with Ananias and Sapphira, the beginning of the church. See, God made a strong statement in the Old Testament, and he wants to make a strong statement in the New Testament. He wants there to be fear. Why does he want fear? See, if we know that things like this happen, then guess what? We're not going to want to do these things, right? Achan was stoned. Achan was killed. Ananias and Sapphira were killed. See, when there is a fear of God, you will hate evil. That's what the Word of God tells us. When we look at Proverbs 8, verse 13, it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. See, when people don't have a fear of God, then they're going to practice sin. They're going to sin. And we see this happening. Now I'm not talking about it. Here I'm talking about the church overall. There's no fear of God. So, of course, they don't hate evil. They, they continue to practice these things because they don't fear God. But I want you to understand one thing. When there is this practice of sin within the church, there is also a lack of power in that church. Remember, I have shared this in times past. Purity equals power. If the church is not pure, then there's no power in that church. And again, I'm not talking about the stumbling. I'm talking about the practice. And as we see here, the other thing that we can learn from this is that God deals with sin in His church. What's so amazing about God, and I have come to realize this, and I got to move quickly. Numbers 32 has some, Numbers 32, 23. You always want to remember that, you know, transpose the numbers. Numbers 32, 23. It tells us that your sin will find you out. When it comes to sin in the church, if you are in sin and trying to hide it, your sin will will find you out. It will eventually come out. See, many times we try to hide it. Many times we try to deceive people. Many times you try to conceal it. Many times you pretend to be something that you're not. But guess what? God exposes it. And that, it's not because God wants to punish you, it's because God wants you to experience His fullness of His presence. And his blessings. He wants you to experience the fullness of his presence and his blessings. Remember this. God cannot fill a dirty cup. And he doesn't expose it to destroy you. He knows that if he doesn't expose it, then you're going to continue in it. And that will destroy you. And God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to be destroyed. As we keep reading on in verse 7. It says, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Imagine, she's been gone for three hours. What do you think she's doing? She's probably shopping, right? She has all this money. You know what? I need a new veil. I need a new outfit. I need new sandals, new perfume, new earrings. Everything that the Bible tells us that they used to wear. But imagine this. She was clueless as to what happened to her husband. Let's read verse 8. It says, And Peter answered, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. In other words, Peter's saying, Did you sell the land for the amount that you gave us? And she said, Yes, for that much. And then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together? To test the spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who had buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man Men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Peter lets them know. Why are you testing God? In other words, you know what? You are pushing. You're testing God to see how much you can get away with. How many of us do this? We continue to sin. We continue to practice it even though we know it's wrong. Are we pushing God to act? When we look at Peter as he tells Sapphira, he says, those men that are outside, they're the ones that buried your husband and guess what? They're going to bury you. Imagine, man, immediately what happens to her? She falls dead and the men come in and they carry her out. And then it tells us something that's crazy. Not that's crazy, but that's so effective. It says a great fear fell upon the church. It fell upon the church. See, the fear did not fall upon those that were on the outside, but it fell upon those that were on the inside. Why? For what we've been talking about. If you're in sin there must be a fear of God. God is coming soon. Is there a fear of God in our church today? As I mentioned, maybe not. But I believe that there is, there are many that do have a fear of God. And those are also in the church. When we look at The sin of hypocrisy. This is the third part of our message, the sin of hypocrisy. I want to share this with you because this is so important. We see this happening in the early church and we see this happening today. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is pretending to be evil, I mean pretending to be holy when you're not. You pretend to keep moral laws when you really don't. You pretend to be something that you are not. You basically become an actor. You're acting like someone that you are not. You're coming in and being all, you know what, all holy. You're a, you know what, you're just a Sunday actor. You come into the church. And you're nice to everybody, but deep down inside, you know, I'm not like this at home. I'm not like this outside of the church. When you t- look at Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to appear like Barnabas, but their heart was wrong. See, there are people that know they're doing wrong, and yet they think they're okay, they think they're holy. Let me share this with you. There are people, I'll give you some examples. People that, you know what? At church, man, their words are so gracious and seasoned so perfectly. But yet at home, they're just their language is out of control. They're just cussing up a storm. There's people also that they're fornicating. They're having sex outside of marriage. They're committing adultery. And yet, They come to church and they're just like, you know what? I am so holy. Let me share how terrible these things can happen because, see, these things happen in the church. And I'll give you an example of this. We once had a youth leader, and this youth leader was pushing to do a purity conference. And he kept pushing it. He says, We have all these youth, let's do a purity conference. And I said, okay, let's do the purity conference. You know what happened a few months later? I found out that he was sleeping with two women at the same time. Two women sleeping with them at the same time and holding a purity conference within the church. He's an actor. That's all he is. We cannot pretend to be something that we are not. And we can't pretend to do something when we, that we have not done, just like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as well as the scribes and the elders. Jesus called them all what? Hypocrites. He called them actors because they pretended to be something that they weren't. When we look at this, a lot of these things stem from pride. The root of sin. It causes rebellion. It causes you to be used by Satan. It causes you to compromise the church. It causes the power of God. To diminish from the church so how can all this be resolved how can all this be resolved I want you to know that see if you are sinning it's affecting your partners those around you as it did with Ananias and Sapphira It's important that we understand this, and not only will it affect those around you, but it affects the power of the church. This is why God needed to address this immediately. He wanted to make sure that fear came into the church. Is there fear in our hearts? If we're practicing sin. And if you are, what's so amazing about God is that He is so gracious, God is so merciful. God is willing to what? Give you another chance. But we have to do step number one. Admit that you are committing sin. You know, when we think about this, it's so easy. You know what's in your heart. You know your life. It's important to admit to it whether it be an outward or an inward sin. And what do you do next? You confess and you repent of it. See, God wants us to humble ourselves. To, you know what? To admit that we are sinners. We got to stop being Sunday actors. We need to admit our sin and to turn from it. And then what the church can experience is a third point, revival, revival. See, if we admit that we are sinners, if we are broken because of our sin, when we know that we are sinning against God, if you are truly sorry and you truly repent of it, then we can experience revival. This is what God wants in this church. He wants revival within us. He wants our hearts to be revived. He wants us to experience new life, to be spirit-filled. And many times, and I want to bring this, and I bring this to your attention, only because many times we can easily identify the outward sin. You can easily say, well, you know what, I'm not doing drugs, I'm not drinking, I'm not fornicating, I'm not looking at pornography, I'm not committing adultery. But what about the inward sins, just like Ananias and Sapphira? The sin of hypocrisy, the sin of envy when it came to Barnabas. There was a door that opened to the enemy, and the enemy exploited it, and he began to destroy them, and he brought destruction upon them. The sin of pride, the sin of unforgiveness. If you are walking in these things, complaining, not being content, being hypocritical, having bitterness, believe me, the Spirit of God cannot fill you. He cannot fill a dirty cup. There cannot be revival in your heart. You cannot experience this. God wants you to experience his presence and his blessings to the fullest. But these things hinder it. And so that's why we offer you to admit it, to confess it, to repent, to walk away from it. And what's so amazing about this is that when we do this, you will see great power, And great grace falling upon this church. I think every single one of us wants a powerful church. We want a church that is holy. We want a church that is pure. We want to make a difference in these last days. And believe me, we are looking at the last days. You know, North Korea, he is just on a mission. The last missile that he he sent out created an earthquake. I don't know if you heard that. Over six point something. You know, you have the aligning of China and Russia. All these things that are coming together to just fulfill God's plan. You have sin the way it is. You have these major catastrophes that are happening all around us. You have the Hurricane Harvey We're in our last days. Are we going to make a difference? Are we going to be a church that is filled with the power and the grace of God that flows through it? Are we going to make a difference in this city? Are we going to make a difference in the surrounding cities? It's really up to us. But it all starts with a brokenness. It all starts with repentance. Repentance. And then we can be filled. And then we can be effective. And then we can make a difference. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I want everyone's eyes to close. I want everyone's heads to bow.